to get a really creative engineer is a breath of fresh air. It's one of those things where you're after a certain look and a feel, and, and somehow we have to be able to communicate that to an engineer so that they understand why it's important. I, I don't think we put enough value on engineers as designers as we should. Welcome to Archispeak, a fortnightly podcast about all things architecture. My name is Evan Troxell, and I'm one of your hosts along with Neil Pan and Cormac Phelan. Have you ever wondered what it's like to work in the profession of architecture? Have you ever worked with an architect? Have you ever wanted to be an architect? Maybe you're in school and don't know what you're getting yourself into, or perhaps you know exactly what it's like because you've been working in the profession for a long time, and you know that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Or maybe, just maybe, you're planning on changing the world. Join us as we have a casual conversation about our passion, architecture. It's time for some Archispeak. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 81 of the Archispeak Podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxell. And I'm Cormac Phelan. And this episode of Archispeak is sponsored by RCAT. Check out all of the features they offer at arcat.com. We'll talk more about RCAT later in the show. Next up, we have some friends of the show to announce. That's right. We've got three friends of the show this week. We have one anonymous donor, and so thank you, anonymous donor. Our second friend of the show is Alex Donkel, and Alex is an AV consultant, and he is all the way over in Hawaii. Very cool to hear from Alex. Nice. So thanks, Alex, for becoming a friend of the show. We have another new friend of the show this week, Lauren Schmidt. And Lauren is uh, part of the LandArc BIM website, which is cool. I just and say that because you should check it out if you're into Revit and Dynamo and stuff. I spent a little time over at the website there, and Lauren's got a really cool resource. So check it out if you got a chance. Thanks, Lauren, for becoming a friend of the show. If you would like to become a friend of the show and have your name read on the Arcaspeak podcast, we would really appreciate that. You can head over to arcaspeakpodcast.com slash donate. And any donation over five bucks can get your name read on the air. And if you don't want your name read on the air, as we had an anonymous donor this week, that's fine too. We really appreciate anything you can do to help make this show possible. We'll call the anonymous donor Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. <laughs> Good idea. Insider there. You got to have listened for a long time to know what that means. <laughs> what else do we have to announce? Cormac, I think you've been working on something. Yes. Uh, so, you know, we had a pretty good successful run with T-shirts, uh, you know, the, at the first run and then the recent second run. So we decided to go ahead and launch the Arcaspeak store. Um, we're starting off a little slow with the standard T-shirt. Uh, we do have a couple of new T-shirts that we've added, and we're also going to be adding mugs and things like that. As we evolve, we're also working on some new designs that aren't quite ready for press yet, but I think everybody's going to love them. They're going to be right up our alley and we'll uh, make further announcements later, uh, you know, later as they become available. But but the important uh, thing is out. that now you are committed, Cormac. Now I'm committed. <laughs> yes. Um, it's going to be awesome. Yes, they are coming from the, uh, the mind and hand of Cormac. Nice. Um, although Evan's uh, responsible for these uh, great T-shirts that we have now, and uh, oh, those are old, we got news. a new, we got a new T-shirt <laughs> coming. That's right uh, from Evan, and um, 
we'll just start uh, adding stuff to the store as it becomes available. And well, I think when here. we launch the um, the those particular uh, sketches and stuff, I, I think we're going to do it as a group so that there's more than just one cool. um, to uh, to get offered. Nice. And you can find it at arcaspeakpodcast.com slash store. All right. So we wanted to talk about a couple things this week that there's one of these is right out of some furious text messaging that Cormac has sent over. <laughs> and that, to me, really is about the value of a good engineer. And the reason yeah. I say that is because we work with so many bad ones. <laughs> At least I have. I, 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 won't, yeah. I won't talk about that for everybody. But um, seriously, it's, it's amazing the difference that a good consultant can make on a project. Right? You know, it, and it comes from like so – so what what you're referring to is that I've been working with a couple of engineers recently that you, it's it's almost like pulling teeth to get them to either agree or be adventurous on a design. And you know when you keep giving them some parameters like let's make the let's make it light, let's do this, let's do that, and you keep coming back with these big bulky details that look like you're designing some you know traffic engineers uh, version of a bridge or something like that. And it's your something that you're tacking onto a building and you're just like, Oh, this is huge and bulky. There's gotta be a better solution. And you're always kind of pushing them. And and I understand that it's a whole collaborative thing, but there's not always time to be collaborative or, right, or the right. means to do that. You know, and a lot of times, you know, you're looking for them to provide design input through their engineering. And I think that's a, a huge thing because there's the there's basically the designer type engineer, and then there's just the and and I don't want to trivialize it and just say engineer engineer, but that's essentially what they are. It's just they will give you yeah. just what you're asking for and won't be adventurous in trying to come up with something creative. I mean, creative is the word. You know, yeah. let, <laughs> let, let's let's take for instance a structural engineer. You know, and you say, you know, hey, you know, we've got all this um, arch, architecturally exposed structural steel. But we want to get really adventure adventurous with this. We want, you know, a great detail that for the connections and how the termination plates, you know, come into the ground or, you know, this, that or the other. And and you think that this is a time that they want to shine and they want to like really do something amazing. And um and then they come back with just kind of like your standard off the shelf stuff, or it's, you know, big and boxy and bulky and stuff, and you're just trying to really push them into, you know, doing something more. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's easy. I mean, sometimes you get, you know, really good engineers that um, can really kind of push the design and help steer the design. Um, I mean, I'm, you know, working with people right now that, you know, are really kind of contributing to uh, the design and, and working through some really cool things. And, and, and really, to be quite honest with you, there are things that I've never done in my career that I'm like, oh, wow, this is this might actually be one of the best things that I've ever done or or have yeah. better, ever been involved with. Yeah, I've got but some it, similar experiences too. And I also think that we should say that there are the same people working in our architectural offices like that we're describing here, right? There's people who are going to do things creatively and then there's other people who are going to either give you yeah. exactly what you want or maybe even dumb it down further. Exactly. And I say that because like not all of our ideas are super creative and not not everything has to be. But there are opportunities for creativity in things like you're talking about. And it's amazing the different output you'll get depending on the person that you ask. Right. You know, cause you're, you're going to have a kit of parts. I mean, everybody knows that a bolt is a bolt, you know, I'm, I'm going to kind of stick on the, the subject line of structural engineer because 
you know, I've ha- I've had a good, like I said, you know, good and bad experiences with structural engineers where you know, it's like, okay, here here's a trust designer, here's a trust profile that we would like to to have in this particular building. It, it kind of incorporates. I'm thinking about a project that I had probably about I would say ten years ago or so that this trust kind of incorporated different pop ups that created clear story condition and. They're looking at it and they're like, oh, we can't do this because it creates a moment here and it creates a moment here. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it wasn't that they couldn't do it. It's that they just either didn't feel challenged or they felt like, I don't know what it was, but at the end of the day, they did it. And it was just a real simple shed truss with a small portion that was a flat roof to create the the clear story condition. You know, it's kind of like a little sawtooth. And it was a real simple, it, honestly, it was a real simple, no-nonsense truss. And it was like pulling teeth. And it would have honestly really changed the dynamic of the design if we had to dumb it down to something simple. And, and even though I thought it was something simple, it was, it was really hard for them to, to have the vision to see it. Whereas, like I said, you know, kind of currently, you know, we're working on something that is some interesting structural gymnastics because it's adding structure to an existing building in a way that we're essentially cantilevering a structural framing system to carry uh, some some vertical fins, you know, some terracotta vertical fins. And it's it's actually going to be pretty cool. But um, the uh, the detailing and stuff is is uh, something that is still taking the kit apart. It's still taking the, you know, the plate connections and the bolted connections and diagonal tie rods and, and all of this stuff. It's simple things that are in a kit of parts and just assembling them in a different manner. And some people feel really uncomfortable getting out of that comfort zone. Yeah, and some totally. people feel very comfortable or even maybe they didn't first think about it, but that's the value of the collaboration between a structural engineer and a, an architect is being able to talk things through where first you may start off with like, say in this particular case, we kind of started off with like a square tubes and they looked really bulky in profile. And then as we kind of like worked through it, it basically turned into just these pipe columns and things like that that really kind of made it look a lot more delicate. Yeah, and so you've, you're got, be, you've got so think, some, some knife plates. You've got these nice little rod connections. And it, and it, gets, it's, it has a level of elegance to it. And you can yeah. tell by looking at the drawing that that's what you're after. And I could only imagine if you bulked all that stuff up with square tubing where, you know, even, even just by changing it to a round tube, just the way that you perceive it and the way the light hits it, it appears thinner. And that's what yeah. you guys are after. Yes. Right. Yes. And so yeah, for, for an engineer to think outside the box or to, to go for a detail, I mean, this is not a new detail, right? Let's no, be no, honest. No, no, no. But it's, it's one of those things where you're after a certain look and a feel and, and somehow we have to be able to communicate that to an engineer so that they understand why it's important. Otherwise you know, they are, they kind of do just take the easiest road to get there. Good yeah, luck with you that. Know, yeah. Well, yeah, I joke with them. I'm like, yeah, it'd be the, the easiest thing, you know, is if we can master levitation because you know, we're, <laughs> we're trying, we're trying to take these really heavy material and basically have them float in front of a glass, right? Uh, a glass curtain wall. And when you look at it, you're like, Oh, this is, you know, the, the, the complexity of this simple design or this simple move, the things that you want to make look simple are typically the most, a lot of times the most complicated. Oh yeah. This is, 
this is also something that's not new, but if you look at Mises Buildings or Craig Elwood or any minimalist modernist, it's like that is the hard stuff. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, to make glass float or to make a um, a large uh, planar cantilever of a roof or something like that, as simple as the forms are, as simple as the moves are, it's the most complicated thing to make something look like it's floating. Skyhooks. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, because a lot of times we just hide things behind, you know, oh, I'm going to put a bulkhead here and I'm going to hide all the structure behind that or here's a soffit that's carrying it. And, you know, like hiding stuff. But, you know, when you want it to kind of like float. Yeah. Um, it's a it's an interesting challenge. And, you know, the thing about it is, is that, you know, the I, I don't think we put enough value on engineers as designers. As we should. But if you if you treat them as part of the design team and I'm using design in air quotes here that they are a designer as well as the architect, you're going to get a better resolution in your designs. If you're just treating them as, okay, here's my design, make it work. Mm-hmm. They don't have to get creative because you're not asking them to. You're not, they're not going to get creative because you're not treating them as you know, an equal in you know, this, this whole thing. I wanted yeah. to ask you, how do you work with your engineers typically? Do you, are you able to treat them as part of the design team or... I mean, how how does that work when it comes to the larger, you know, school type projects that you work on? Well, you know, it's 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 hit or miss in, you know, a lot of times, especially in Evan, I know you know this when you're doing like public work stuff that's cheaper well, not cheaper. It's your budget is really low or your budget is really tight and that you're holding to a very tight per square footage cost. I think that to me is where you really get to uh, be creative with the structure because you really are going to have to have a more dumbed down structure. But how do you get creative with that dumbed down structure? And how I usually work is, you know, and a lot of times architects and I've worked at uh, firms before where, you know, architects won't bring in a structural engineer till after SDs. So it's just like, okay, well, we've worked out what we wanted to do. Now you just got to kind of make it work. To me, that's being kind of, I don't know, almost disingenuous to the process where here's somebody that you're going to be relying on to make your vision work. Why not talk to them a little bit early about, you know, hey, I'm thinking about doing a stair with just a single center stringer and the stairs are floating. Um, they're just these floating planks that teeter at a center point. Well, that's pretty complicated stuff. Let's get them in early let's talk about it let's make sure that we can actually do this and make it work and you know meet all of the code requirements as well as being something very decorative and and i and i think you know getting people early on in the process especially like in say renovation work where i've been doing a lot of you know renovation work over the course of the decade or so where you know you've got a complicated program that you're trying to push into a pre-existing box and nine times out of ten, that pre-existing box did not have air conditioning, didn't have fire protection, didn't have all of these things. And now you're supposed to make it work and also be a nice design and a nice comfortable building and, you know, something that is encouraging of, like, say, educational uh, programs. And so that's when you really get them in early to be a part of the overall conversation. You know, we had a we had this one project where I had 
from floor finish floor to top of structure was 11 foot six. You guys do the math. That's yeah. not a lot of space to jam in all of the services mm-hmm. that you need to jam in and still have a ceiling higher than eight feet. Yeah. Now, so, you know, getting in early and talking to them about it and trying to figure out a solution that, you know, could have a good design as well as good um, systems kind of coordination. And um, it's a, it's, it's an interesting challenge. Yeah. And it's a fun challenge to me. It's both frustrating and encouraging when you're depending on the type of engineer. If you're working with an engineer that's just kind of unwilling to think outside of the box, your your projects will will suck. Especially Not, especially in the public work that we do where everything is beefier because it has to be. It, right. It's even harder, I think, to work with an engineer who is used to working with those agencies and they kind of have a feeling that that, oh, we're not going to be able to do that because they'll never approve it. And so the compromises happen very early in the project, right, before anybody's had the chance to actually say that's not going to work. And I get it. it you don't want to have to go back and redo something right, that late right. in the project. But at the same time, I, the longer we do these types of projects, the the more neutered we get with ideas because – there's been so many things that have been denied because they they just won't allow it. And these are things that I'm talking about are way more restrictive than the, the typical code, especially in right. the public sector. Yeah. And actually, you, you bring up a good point because a lot of times the reason why we wait to bring in engineering in is because we don't want the engineer to. So we go through thousands of iterations of a design, you know, and, you know, there's stacks upon stacks of trace paper that we've you know burned through and a lot of times the fee is built so that the engineer themselves they don't usually have you know a fee built in for you to be able to um have them work on thousands of different iterations yeah they're they're looking at that okay you tell me what you're trying to build. I only want to do it once. And, and they I won't even start once. until you're done with DD, right? Because they know a how lot many of times, times yeah. you're going to change it. Yeah. <laughs> and even though your submissions are supposed to have, you know, um, basic, uh, like maybe a single line MEP drawing or, you know, outlet layouts and things like that, or, you know, a structural um, diagram. They're like, well, you know, we don't want to start until your DD is approved so that, you know, we're only coming and doing it one time. So I think there's, you know, we're kind of handicapping ourselves in the way that the the fees are based where what we're doing is limiting their ability to kind of get in, roll their sleeves up and be um, as creative as we are during the whole design process. I mean. Okay, well, we've got all of this ductwork that we're supposed to get into a clear space of, you know, say three feet, and and it's got everything else in there. And so, what do we need to do with it? How do we? How can we be creative so we can, you know, make everything else kind of feel open and and you know, kind of inviting or or whatever. You know? Yeah, we need to kind of reconnect with putting a value on a design engineer. Yeah, I've had a couple of experiences. One one recently and one a couple of projects ago where I've had that great experience. Uh, and it really totally depends on the person, not necessarily the firm. I think some firms are, are going to be better known than others. 
I mean, obviously, if you're going to like a facade consultant like Thornton Tomasetti or you're doing Bureau Happold, you're going to get something where they're thinking outside the box. That's why they're hired because of that exact reason. But the typical engineers that we work with, the smaller shops that are doing the type of work that we're doing and they're turning it around and record time and they've got tons of projects going on and you can tell it's just it's kind of like the the environment we work in now to get a really creative engineer is a breath of fresh air especially structurally i think you know if we if we continue on with that kind of uh, specificity of the the type of person we're talking about recently on a project you know i had designed this main stair in a lobby and i had it coming down and hitting the ground at this at the midpoint landing and he's like you know we could we could float that and and just those words right there, <laughs> you're just like, oh, it's like, I oh, really? It. You know, because because I'm coming from a different point of view where I'm thinking we'll never be able to float that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when he says we can float that, we immediately I latched onto that. I said, okay, how are we going to do that? Because this is the one point in the building where it actually deserves for that to happen. And so again, if if the engineer understands the whole building and they understand where it's important to spend a little bit more money on a solution like that is super cool to work with. Uh, another guy that I worked with on a high school, I mean, it was all CMU. This entire $120 million high school is CMU because of durability and maintenance and all these things, right? right? Really right. driven by the, the maintenance person. I wanted to do this cantilevered trellis out over off of one of the walls. And he's like, you know, we're going to have to to put columns out here. And I said, well, what if we punch holes in the CMU and we backspan the, the steel back into the, the roof diaphragm? He's like, I like that idea. And as soon as he said that, you know, and he's like, I really like working with you because you're making me think. That's exactly what he said, right? You're making me come back. And, and I loved working with him because he was willing to explore. And, and to me, that's the value of a good engineer when you can develop that kind of a relationship or that kind of a dialogue to where you guys are bouncing off each other. And you yeah. know that this is going to be a good marriage because the architecture and the structure <laughs> rely on each other so heavily to to do some of the things that we want to do. And it goes for any consultant, really. But um, in this particular case, it was really cool. And then like a couple of weeks later, he was taken off the project because he was spending oh. too much time on it. Oh, talk about like taking the wind out of the sails, right? It's yeah. like, OK, now we will put the columns back in because that's the fastest, cheapest thing to do right now. Uh, and that kind of stuff really sucks. And, and so we've got consultants where you know they are ultra conservative and the steel is twice as big as it needs to be. And there mm -hmm. are columns where you absolutely do not want columns. And it's like, no, really, can't we just thicken the steel on this beam and make it span further? Well, yeah, we could do that. But so then why do I even have to ask? I, and I think that's one of the, the comments that you had made over the text was like, why didn't you just do what I asked you to do? Because now you're saying you could do it. But before when I showed it to you, you did something different. Yeah, yeah. You give them your overall design concept and they see what you're trying to do. And you say, okay, you know, here are a kind of like some buzzwords that I want you to keep in the back of your mind of what we're trying to achieve with the design. And then they kind of come back and they're like, well, here you go. And you're looking at it like, ah. Oh. Man, this is like bigger and it's it's almost the opposite of, of kind of the <laughs> design concept. This is exactly the wrong thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then you sit there and you talk to them about it and you work through it. And you maybe sketch and design back and forth and, and then you send it to them and they're like, oh, well, yeah, we can do that. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, shaking my head, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, you guys, you guys missed it. You left. You left before Junya Ishigami spoke at the MDC last year. Uh, and yeah. he, if you look him up, um, I guess we could put a link in the show notes to his projects. They are like, I don't even know the right word. I guess slender is a good word to use. <laughs> and you, you, again, I just feel like, oh my God, like I'm working in the worst field possible, which is public work in California, right? With our issues that we have out here laterally to, to look at his images because I look at his and I'm just like, how do you do that? Right. They are like thin as air. I don't even know of another way to explain it, but you've got to look at his projects to understand what I'm saying, because right. the columns are, you know, like, like the building is made out of columns that are actually just half inch steel plate. That's all they are. <laughs> so that you look at them and you barely even see them wow. or, or he holds the roof up with glass. I mean, there's, it's, it's the kind of thing that every design architect wishes they could do. <laughs> He actually does them. He figures out ways to do them. And the only way that he can actually do this is by working with an engineer who gets what he's going for. Well, but, you know, so here's here's actually another thing. And, and I think that, you know, we're kind of putting a lot of the onus on the structural engineer on, you know, expecting them to basically think what we're thinking. Yeah. And I think some of what we need to do is understand what they do. So the value of learning in in all of these structures classes that we're where uh, we take in architecture school, the value of those classes are is that we'll be able to have the dialogue with the structural engineer about what we're trying to do with steel and understanding the properties of a you know tube steel versus a pipe column versus a wide flange why, and yeah, all these why other things. Why would you use one instead of another in this? Yeah, because of yeah, rotational yeah. torsion and all these. All this right. really interesting stuff. If we would just get into it, I, you know, and if, I agree if with they're, you. If they say, "Well, we need this column in here because we need the lateral bracing," you should understand what lateral bracing means, or the shear columns, or or whatever. You know, you need to understand some of these things so that you're not dependent on them designing your building. Yeah. You're working as a collaborative team designing the building. Yeah, it's it's interesting because. Once you understand the concepts of what they're doing, so for instance, I'm working on this science building similar to, I guess, what you're doing, Cormac, and it has to be a really stiff building because of vibration requirements. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and we've yeah. got like 21 braces in this three-story building, and I don't mean like those are spread out over floors. I mean that is on every single floor because they go yeah. from from ground to rooftop. and. That is a lot of diagonal bracing in the building. Mm-hmm. And it's what, what's kind of cool is we're using EBFs, eccentric brace frames. And for the most part, they're A's in the shape. Um, but every once in a while, we switch it to a V. And that's because of door locations where we're actually having to pass through the brace to create an opening. And right. it was kind of cool how we got there because we'll have three-story brace frame. You can imagine, you know, you've got this big rectangle. And it's divided into thirds, right? So you've got three different openings. And in each one, you either have to have a V or an A. And originally, they were all A's. But in one location, we said, you know, we've got to have the door right here, which goes right through one of their V's or A's, and say, hey, what if we flip it right there? Yeah, totally. You can do that. You can totally (laughs) flip it right there. So we've got this kind of mixed bag in certain locations where it might be A's on two floors and then a V on the top floor. And it's cool just to... I wouldn't have known that unless I worked on this project, that that's even right. something that we can do. And so now, from now on, 
I get to say, okay, well, what if we well, let's flip this one and and just make the process go a whole lot easier. Or what you're now learning is, okay, so I'm going to have diagonal bracing within this building because, you know, I'm trying to keep an uh, an open appearance, you know, and so I'm not having any, you know, kind of like sheer walls or anything in this thing. So I know that we're going to have to have like N-bay bracings or whatever. So now you're learning, it's like, okay, so how can I design that in right. at the next project? Yes, exactly. So that I can actually celebrate this design. And then if you're starting to talk to your engineer about, okay, so we're going to express your, your, um, your structure, then they start to think, okay, so now it's going to be, you know, out in the open and it's going to be visible. Do I want to, you know, do this, uh, this bracing with this big clunky wide flange with a couple of, uh, angles or do I want to do it with, you know, tube steel or whatever that kind of make it really light and thin, but still achieve the, you know, the criteria that I need to. It really is you on know, us to listen to them too. So yeah, yes. they're they're listening to us and that, and then they're gonna they're gonna throw back ideas. And it's really important to listen to exactly right. what they're saying and why they're saying it. Well, I I want to use tube steel here because, or they'll just say I want to use tube steel here, and you and you have to ask why, so that you can you know, learn from it. What was great is like so the engineer that I'm working with right now he's he's got this he, he's got a, a more of a pragmatic kind of approach for certain connections and stuff. And they make perfect sense. And I think he and I talked through wanting to do certain kind of, uh, you know, architectural like enclosures to, you know, like where we're pen penetrating the steel through the uh, curtain wall system. Well, you know, once you do that, you know, you've got to figure out a way to close that hole. And so, you know, we talked about, you know, different ways of doing that to kind of make the structure either square or something that I can kind of close around it and make a, a nice good seal. But then, you know, we started talking about plate connections and like, oh, well, what if I run the blade between two mullions and things like that? And, you know, so it's just this kind of like dialogue of what is the easiest way to create the this end appearance and how do I work backwards to a structure to get it that way? And I can't stress enough the, the value of being able to have each other kind of speak each other's language. Yeah, um, I think it, it's also important for your firm to kind of identify or you as a practitioner to identify who those people are so that you make sure you work with them again and give them the business. And then also yeah. with the yeah. ones that you don't like working with, there's got to be some way to say, here's why I don't like working with you guys, because you're way too conservative. And we've done that before on projects. Sorry, yeah, we, we don't like to work with you guys because, or this particular engineer on your team, because we don't get what we want out of it. It is up to us to say that and, and to maybe have some kind of a vetting process where, where we can, to other teams, recommend certain engineers or consultants based on performance on past projects and, and different experiences that we've had. It makes sense to me, right, to, to know in my firm that, okay, I really want to work with this engineer on the next project, so hopefully they're the, the ones we pick, versus I definitely don't want to work with that engineer because it's just a headache the whole time. Right. It's, that would be a, a, a good thing for firms to have is that type of a resource, I think. Yeah. I mean, we get pre-qualified uh, by uh, clients all the time. We should pre-qualify our design team Yeah, uh, if they would only do that to the, the contractors. All right. Let's talk about RCAT. All right. So our sponsor, RCAT, for this episode, what's the one thing we all do in our practice? Search the internet for content, right? That's well, right. Well, we want to let you know about RCAT.com. RCAT is an online resource devoted to bringing content to the building professional. 
They have huge libraries that you can access and they don't hit you up for subscriptions. There are no fees and they won't make you register to download the content. We've all been there. You finally find the right file and you get blocked with a registration pop-up and you think, thanks for wasting my time. I'll find it somewhere else. Our Cats BIM library is really second to none and available in just about any format you need. In fact, their entire BIM library is formatted for the last five versions of Revit. Their CAD detail library has thousands of CAD details, and if you ever need specs, the RCAT library is the most consistent library you will find. Every single spec is written in the CSI three-part format. There's so much more on their site, including catalogs, videos, and spec wizard. Go to RCAT.com or download their app and check it all out. It's a great free resource that you don't have to register to use. Visit them at arcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. And thanks to Arcat for sponsoring this episode of Arcuspeak. We've been uh, rushing for pulling together a GMP set. And um, we've been needing to pull in a lot of content for these bidders to understand kind of the design content because it's a, you know pretty early in the CD phase for them to be doing this. But because of scheduling and everything else, we've just we have to. And uh, I swear, I, prob- I I basically left the tab open for RCAT and just it was uh, kept jumping back and forth between it. So and there isn't one specific one. It was wholesale project. Every bit of the I was pulling stuff out of um, RCAT to pull this set together to get as much information spec wise, detail wise, everything. So they saved me again. Nice. Well, Neil, I would be interested to hear how, in the residential side of things, your dealings with consultants. Yeah, it's very similar to your experiences. I think getting the engineers involved early always helps. Uh, although I find, or I found with residential, um, and most of what I do is not high-end custom residential. Um, it's more lower-end and... Um, more simple things. In addition to the my previous work doing uh, more production housing, you know, the engineers really kind of come in late in the game. As you were mentioning, uh, Cormac, that's part of the problem. You know, they come in so late that uh, you're trying to fix you're trying to fix problems that were created during the design process, mm-hmm. um, where you could have avoided them if you'd gotten a, you know everyone involved a little bit earlier. Yeah, I've always been a huge advocate for that. So. Um, you know, but it's, it's always a challenge and, uh, you know, definitely different engineers give you, um, you know, different levels of service, just like architects. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. um, you know, I, I've had plenty of experiences where you, it's almost where you, you kind of get what you pay for, uh, the, totally. the cheaper the engineer, the, <laughs> yeah. the less they do. Right. The and more the you more have to do for them, have to spend <laughs> fixing their stuff. Totally. That's, and that, this is, goes right back to my gripe earlier about, not working, wanting to work with certain engineers. And that's the reason right there. It's because I'm laying out their ductwork. Okay, you guys yes. can't figure it out. I guess I'm going to have to figure it out for you. And they're like, thanks. <laughs> right? Oh. Or, or you know, it's just like, they're going to just throw it out there. And it's just like, okay, well, you know, here's your corridor. I'm going to run, you know, this this bit of duct, you know, down this corridor. I'm like, yeah, but we've got this and this and this and this and this. You need to be a little bit more creative so we can have room for everything else. You know, we're limited in our space. And and so you've got to basically kind of push that, either push them to do it or find that one 
um, creative engineer. And it's not one. I mean, there's there's tons of of good engineers out there that are really creative and, and want to do something that because to be quite honest with you, nine times out of 10, everybody, every engineer that you work with, they're like, well, you're just going to cover it up with the f- finishes. So you're never going to see our stuff. Well, you know, like in the case of this particular chemistry, yeah, but that's an art that I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> in this ke- chemistry building, they don't want ceilings. So you're going to see everything. So how do you get creative on the routing and the the layout? And this is a time for you to design. This, yeah. We're going to see your stuff. So let's lay out the, the artery system the way you would love to see it kind of showcased. And, you know, when you put that on the table for them, they're like, oh, this is going to be great. And you get their energy level up and they want to do something that's really creative and really kind of outside of the box because now they've got an incentive to do something cool. Well, even when you are uh, covering it up, a lot of times you still want them to be creative because you've got other things that are going on, you know, underneath the skin of it all that you really need them to kind of be creative to work around all that stuff. I think one of the things architects uh, oftentimes forget about is when they're setting up their budgets and their, you know, what what's a project going to cost us and figuring out that we we spend a lot of time trying to understand how long it's going to take us to do our portion of the job. Oh, yeah. And what I think sometimes gets forgotten and something that shouldn't be forgotten is, um, you know, coordination time. Because uh, as I found, even with the smaller, simpler projects that I've done over the last few years, you know, just even something as an addition when you've got, uh, you know, new foundation area and you have to connect these foundations. I mean, not, not necessarily connect, but, you, you know, you have a crawl space and that crawl space has to connect to the new crawl space. You can't just wall it off uh, right. unless there's a separate second access, right, from the floor. And so a recent project that I had, uh, the engineer completely ignored that. And so I had to spend time reviewing his drawings, which... You have to do some amount of oh, as sure. well. That's but your I job. Mean, I'm not checking his calcs. Because but you I'm are responsible for your consultant's that, works. What's that? You are responsible for your consultant's work. Well, that's true. And so I'm looking at it and I'm like, dude, you didn't even put in the accesses here that we need to, you know, go from one space to another. Oh, yeah, I got to do that. Uh, or, you know, just, just completely forgetting things or doing things completely different from the design. That's the one that really gets me. It was like... Um, didn't you look at the way I laid this out? Because your engineering doesn't match my architecture. Communication. Well, yeah, it, it's that. But but uh, it, I find that it oftentimes comes down to the quality of the engineer or the time they want to spend or the fee that they're charging. Yeah. And all of that kind of goes together. It all plays together. Other engineers yeah. where I get a phone call. Hey, Neil, this isn't quite working out or I'm having this issue. Um, you know, and, and I'm think, thinking, you know, mostly on the structural side, um, but I've had the similar experiences with, uh, you know, HVAC people, you know, con- consultants as well, even on my own house, um, you know, where I, I laid out or I didn't lay out, but I, I had, you know, I, I could recognize just from my own experience how, um, I was going to need to get ducting down to the first floor. And so I, I had boxed out areas, uh, for them to run their ducks, and then I get the layout back from the uh, from the HVAC contract or uh, consultant, and they had run things in all kinds of weird places, and <laughs> said, "Oh, we need a chase over here, we need a chase over here." I was like, "What the hell are you doing?" 
So I've Neil, you got this covered for you. They're so. like, Neil, so you got this covered by this uh, this new um, soffit. And you're like, there's not supposed to be a soffit there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, but yeah. yeah but how do you like, feel no. about exposed ductwork? <laughs> that, I mean, that's literally exactly what happened. You know, or the worst case, the worst case is uh, a number of years ago on a project, this was more of a a very tight, not not quite multifamily, but uh, single family, but attached. Um, it's multifamily sort of project. But anyway, long story short, um, none of the coordination was done during the process. And so at the time I was working for a developer and we bought the project off of another developer and we kind of came in midstream of construction. And uh, so we were walking around and, and realizing that there was no coordination done on these three-story buildings on how to do the uh, HVAC. So we're literally standing in the model or in, in you know, framed buildings going, how are we going to get this duct over to here and yeah. to this room and up over here? Uh, I mean, that, that's just ludicrous. Well, this and, is the value of BIM, right? This is where we uh, are, that's, yeah. we are well, solving these problems. I, know, I don't know how much BIM layout would be doing on you know, these, these, these residential type projects. Well, I, I, I think that they would work for any size project. And I yeah. mean, you guys can see the, the, I posted an image to Twitter this week of a project I'm working on, and you can see, I guess I could post a, put one in the show notes of just the systems, because it is ridiculous what is packed into this building. And oh, Cormac, yeah, you yeah. know how heavy the infrastructure is in these science buildings. And this is my first science building, but I'll tell you what, everything that I've learned in this science building is going to apply to every single project I do from now on. Right. Because we set it up from the beginning, we've got 16 feet floor to floor. We've got this thick of a slab. We've got this much uh, margin for structure. We've got the next layer down is HVAC. The next layer down is sprinkler pipes. The next layer down is this and that. We've got data packed in there. We've got hot and chilled water. We've got all these different things. We basically created like the stratification that runs down the hallways. And we know that it's going to fit within this certain width, <laughs> which, right. by the way, it doesn't really. <laughs> it would be better to be wider. But we we look at all these things and we're making decisions early on. Okay, our floor to floor needs to be this because we need to stay under this height limitation for the building type, or we need to save money. Right? The the bigger the floor to floor, the more it costs structurally. Yeah. The building weighs more. There's all kinds of problems with that. We got more drift. But just setting up kind of these ground rules for zones, I'm going to use that everywhere now. And when I go back to those other consultants I'm talking about, where it's like, no, really, I wanted the duct in the ceiling. I didn't want to see it. I didn't want it halfway <laughs> through the ceiling. You know, it's like you shouldn't even have to say these things, but really that to me is the value of BIM is like we can actually go through and coordinate all this where it used to be kind of halfway done by us, halfway done by contractors, right? Now it's like we're really trying to solve these problems before it ever gets built. And so I feel right. like that really is a reason why it's great to use BIM. Yeah, I'll, t I'll tell you uh, another reason why it's great to use BIM. So in this particular building, because it's a renovation building, we have the floor-to-floor -floor height is 11.7. Well, you know, if you think about it, standard construction, that's uh, not too bad. I mean, it could be a little bit better, but it's not too bad. Well, in this particular case, it's got a waffle slab, and it's got perimeter beams, and all of these different things that are the um, perimeter beams are... 36 inches deep concrete beams that, you know, we're trying to get ductwork to pass under. Well, you know, you start doing the math on how low these things become. You're just like, ugh. so then you start to become, you know, you, you really start to look at how creative you can be with 
this existing waffle slab and the depth of this slab and and everything else and and you and bim in this particular case has been an absolute lifesaver because there's certain criteria that you know all of the lab equipment needs i mean you know here here are uh, instrument sensitive labs that um have certain heights and height requirements for their you know fume hoods or their glove boxes and all these other different things that go into this particular building and you know then just the criteria of what clearance they need for like say the a laser lab yeah and you lay that into what you would normally lay into a a building and it's amazing how quickly all of that space gets just snapped up yep and completely used and you're like okay so now you know in if you look at it and you're just kind of laying it in normally we'd have to you know like all of our duct would be at like you know six foot you know so it's like okay now how do how do you get creative and that's when like the creativity of the engineer um both the structural engineer and the mechanical engineer working with the architect to be able to pull what would normally be just six foot clear to now at least give them eight foot clear so that the lab can actually function as a lab yeah um and uh you know so that that's where the the creativity really comes into play and bim i swear bim has been a savior after savior because we're like overlaying things and and uh if i can um before the show goes uh live i'll try to find a uh, section cut of through the the building um that we did showing all of the different utilities jam-packed in there and it's amazing to see you know the lab equipment you know modeled in there all of the structural um systems lab, you know modeled in there including the existing and all of the uh arterial work of the MEP that's cool it's cool stuff i mean it's really cool to see that and to think like man we've done this in how short of a period of time <laughs> exactly <laughs> it's crazy exactly. all right well that seems like a good place to stop well, I'd like to uh, remind everyone to visit the uh, website at arcaspeakpodcast.com for links to our catalog of episodes. You can also sign up for our newsletter that includes links to everything we mention in the, each episode. Between episodes, join the conversation by leaving comments at arcaspeakpodcast.com and on our Facebook page or even talk to us through Twitter. Links can be found for all of these by visiting the site at arcaspeakpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. 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 Now, or you can hang your head in despair. It's yummy.